What's up? Welcome to a special episode of the Bukhari Sellers Podcast. I guess we come to you with heavy hearts on January 25th, which was this past Monday. I had the amazing opportunity to interview Cicely Tyson. And as we know, just last evening, she passed away at the age of 96 years old. In that interview, I was taken aback just by being in her presence and the grace and the style, the excellence that she represented, the brilliance, the beauty, everything that she encompassed, everything that she had done, and just listening to her words and the strength of her voice was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. The last time I had seen Cicely in person was at Tyler Perry's home. And in the interview, just to hear about the love and the depth of the love that she had for Tyler was just, it was amazing. To hear her insights on uh, writing and to hear her insights on the love of her life, Miles Davis, just, it was just special to be in her presence. And so we were supposed to release this episode on Monday to kick off our Black History Month at the Bukhari Sellers Podcast, but I wanted to release this episode this morning and today, uh, mainly in memoriam, um, in memory of an icon. Uh, my sister, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, said it best. She said, this one hurts, but my goodness, what a life, what a light, what power, what grace, what brilliance, what excellence, what love. We are better because you were here with us, Miss Tyson. Thank you for your gift of being. Your memory will forever be a blessing. For everyone who's hurting today, everyone who um, is in Miss Tyson's orbit, and for all of us that she touched through her art, through her life, uh, may she rest in power. Um, we deliver this episode with the utmost respect for her life and legacy. And we just wanted you to hear her words, as many of us. Um, sit in memory with the smile of everything she meant. Uh, Cicely Tyson, rest in power. You're forever our queen. And you are the epitome of black excellence. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So, Ms. Tyson, I, I first want to thank you for taking time um, just to talk with me today and reflect on your career and your new book, Just As I Am. My question is, you could have written this book 30 years ago and it would have been phenomenal, but you chose not to. What motivated you to write it right now at this point in your career? I don't think it would have been phenomenal 30 years ago. I had nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I have been asked to write a book over most of my career. And um, one day, I was awarded the honor of presenting Barbara Jordan with an award for her work as a civil servant. And when I had completed that uh, mission, I turned to her and said, uh, when are you going to write your book? And she said, smilingly, when I have something to say. <laughs> I thought, well, if a woman as, as accomplished as Barbara Jordan, Barbara Jordan could say that, and so could I. So I stole it. And they when asked that question, I would simply say, well, I have something to say. <laughs> well, one day, my manager, Larry Thompson, says, Sicily, you have to do a book. I said, the world thinks that. Mm. I said, I'm not joking. I'm very serious. Uh, I said, Larry, and I told him the story. People know Cicely Tyson way up here with the star and the glitter and the glamour and the uh, blinking lights. But they know absolutely nothing about Cicely Tyson. No one knows Cicely Tyson. The person down here, Mm -hmm. the roots of this woman, Knows nothing. He said, What are you talking about? I said, Just what I said. They know the star that they've made up here, but they don't know anything about the roots. And he said, Well, you're talking about the Christmas tree. I said, What? He said, yeah. I said, well, you pull a Christmas tree out of the ground after search for about months uh, to put it in Rockefeller Plaza. And when you pull it out, it's got a lot of dirt, a lot of roots, but it has none of that glitter and glamour until it rises up. Oh, he said. So, for curious reason, 
that stayed with me. And that was what I thought of while I made the decision to uh, write the book. Well, it's a very, very good read. And one of the things, and the pictures in it are so amazing. It helps. It helps match. You can, I can visualize it in my head. But one of the things that I appreciated the most is how you talked about these people who are icons. Sidney Poitier, Ruby Dee, Harry Belafonte, Lena Horne, Ozzie Davis, Maya Angelou. I saw the picture of a young James Earl Jones. But you, yeah. didn't talk, you didn't talk about them as icons like we know them. They were your friends. Yeah. Which of your peers, particularly earlier in your career, which, which one of them, tell us something that we don't know about them. Which helped shape how you approached your craft? Well, you know, I don't think that you can live this life without being affected by every single thing in this life. I don't care if a person passes you uh, and says hello, that has an effect on you. Either you know them or you don't know them. And if you don't know them, you wish you did know them. It has a definite effect, effect on you. And so I have, from each one of them, received something, just as I do from the characters that I play, okay? Mm -hmm. I cannot play a character without being left with something uh, that affects me for the rest of my life, negative all positive. And that's how I feel about these friends that have I think about them all the time. <laughs> all the time. And it's hard to believe that they're not here uh, with me still. You, you brought up the roles you play. And in your book, you say that you almost immediately know when you want to take a role. And your career is a testament to that. Were there ever any roles that you declined that you later wished that you had taken? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, and my mother uh, uh, went out for a role once and uh, I didn't get it. And I came home uh, very depressed uh, my mother asked me what was the matter, and I said nothing. And she asked me over and over and over again. And uh, I kept saying nothing. And finally, I had gone into my room, and she knocked on the door, and she said to me, what do you mean nothing? You come here looking like that, and you tell me, Nothing is the matter. So I said, I didn't get the role. And you look like that. She said, let me tell you something. What's for you, you will get. What's not for you, you will never get. Okay? And I'm saying to myself, 
I'm hurting inside, and this woman is telling me this foolishness. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was a role that I was offered by 20th Century uh, Fox. I passed on it because it was a woman who had five children, black woman. Uh, She was unmarried and uh, collected public assistance, and I was not interested in portraying that kind of woman. Anyway, I let it go. Uh, Another actress took it, got it, and was nominated for an Oscar, and uh, I was without a job for two weeks when I received a call uh, to come in and and, uh, uh, interview for a role, a role, uh, and it turned out to be uh, Jane Pittman. So, had <laughs> I taken uh, the other one, I would not have been available to uh, take this one. And I recognized that there was some knowledge to my mother after all. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect story, you know. I always consider myself to be a child of the civil rights movement. My father was a member of SNCC and was shot in the Orangeburg massacre. But throughout your book, you note that your formative years of your career coincided with the civil rights movement. How did the movement shape your consciousness and your artistry during that time? Well, actually, I was in a movie called The Blacks at the time. And as much as I wanted to be out there, in the throes of it, I had been talked out of leaving the show and going out there. And I know uh, that my cast members were right because I probably would not be here talking to you. Uh, Because one of the things that I could not deal with was injustice, injustices. Uh that were done us us as a race of people simply because of the color of our skin. I could not. And so I knew that I would be incited by something that probably would not allow me to be sitting here talking to you. So they were right, I was wrong. I got very involved Uh, because I was doing some promotion for the movie Sounder. And um, I I spoke to a group of journalists, and one of them interrupted me and said, I'm sorry, Miss Tyson, but I discovered a bit of a uh, bigotry in my viewing, while, while viewing Sounder. And it occurred when your son referred to his father as daddy. Mm. When I questioned that, he said, well, I did not understand why your black son um, would refer to his daddy as daddy, uh, as my son's uh, referred to me as daddy. And that was simply because the man was black. 
son was black, his sons were white, and he was white. And mm. he didn't believe that they should be calling their father daddy as he said. Well, <laughs> that stopped me. That stopped <laughs> me all in my tracks. And I made the decision at that moment in time that I could not afford the luxury of being uh, an actress. I That was a luxury. I needed to address some issues that I found totally unacceptable. And I used my career to uh, 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 lift them up. Yeah. I, this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold Slurpee drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven, and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small Slurpee drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax. Participating U.S. stores see app for full terms. All rights reserved. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. You know, you talk vividly in the book about 1968. You dedicate an entire chapter to it. It was a horrendous year for so many Americans, particularly you know, black folk, you had the Orange Rug Massacre in February of 68. You had the assassination of King in April. You had the assassination of RFK in June. But what parallels do you draw between the agony of 1968 and this past year of 2020 that was also shaped by so many tragic events? Well, I'll tell you something. I um, sat at uh, the dinner table many an evening when I was a child, while um, we were going through that period of uh, poverty due to uh, the repression, depression, uh, when people were losing their money and their homes and all their other valuables jumping out of the window. 
because of what was going on. And listen to my mother and father talk about that period and how dreadful that was. And I said to myself, I must have been five. Oh, that doesn't happen to people. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, I never thought I would live to see the day when I would be living through it, if not worse. I feel I have been incarcerated in my home from the time I returned to California after uh, closing a murder and coming back to New York. And I find it impossible to accept all of the various and sundry uh, misgivings, uh, the lies, the mistreatment of human beings, uh, particularly back to killings, that it's, it's just very difficult for me to swallow. Uh, and so I try, uh, I have a school of uh, black children in East Orange, New Jersey, uh, and I try to make them conscious of what is going on to them, with them, and for them, because they are the targets. They are the targets. They are the ones that are receiving the short stick of all of this. And I want them conscious. And though we were not able, usually they celebrate my birthday, the 19th of every December. I I wasn't able to do that. So we had a virtual, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, where I talked to them and asked them to talk to me about what their feelings uh, are about it and gave them some relief uh, to be able to say, well, Miss Tyson, we miss you because we always have a big party on your birthday. We're not having it this year. But I said, I want to know your true feelings about what is going on and how you are coping with it and what you recommend that you do to help eliminate the situation. You know, that's that's very powerful and poignant because there's so many people, particularly young people, that are going through so much right now. Yeah. And, you know, we have to find people who we look up to, people like yourself and many others to help us get through this. One of the people that I look up to that I text with occasionally and the last time I actually saw you was at his house mm-hmm. um, is none other than Tyler Perry. And you talk glowingly about your friendship with Tyler in your book. And how he's done with this company in ways, and what he's done with this company in ways that you'd hope black people would do in Hollywood. And that's tell stories that reflect our full life and multidimensional depictions. How much does what Tyler Perry has been able to do represent what generations of black folk like yourself in Hollywood fight for decades to create? Well, I don't don't know of any one person that has taken the advance of black people 
uh, as seriously as he has. Uh, one of the things uh, that I say to him over and over again is that you will never want for anything because you are always giving. Uh, you don't have to know the person or know the situation. The moment you hear someone is in need, physically, mentally, spiritually, or otherwise, you are there to change the situation from negative to positive. And I think uh, if one of us or more of us will think along those lines, I think as a race of people, there is no place that we cannot go in this world. And Ruby D used to say to me all the time, Cicely, I have to tell you this, we were performing somewhere. Uh, it doesn't matter, she said, but if you are black and live in this world, you can do anything you want to do. And I think you add to that, that what, what we need to learn about ourselves is that there's nothing in the world like unity to bring that about. Look at what Tyler has done almost by himself. He has raised the standard of film in the world, not just in this country, but all over the world, okay? I mean, he's in California right now, I understand, uh, directing one major, major film, okay? How do you think you get there? How does one get there? Huh? Okay, and and he's done it basically physically on his own. Of course, he's had support of people because now they begin to see where he's going, see what he's doing, see where his aspirations are. And uh, I can't praise him enough for what he's done, not just for us, but for the world. He's a great friend of mine, and I look up to Tyler all the time and, and, and speak to him when I need wisdom and advice. I just have a couple more questions for you today because I'm just so, yeah, I'm so excited that you took some time out to, to join us. You know, one of the things that I didn't know until I read the book uh, was that among your many accomplishments, you were the first black woman to star in a television drama with East Side, West Side. Yeah. Um, and the first black woman to appear on television with your hair short and natural. Talk about how big of a deal it was at that time for a Black actress to simply be and wear your hair in its natural state. Well, <laughs> I wish I had some of those letters that were sent to me by Black people <laughs> when I appeared. <laughs> and uh, the first time I did it, I, um, I appeared in a short movie uh, one of those Sunday morning shows. And um, it was called Between Yesterday and Today. And, and I was unhappy about the way I was wearing my hair straightened. And, you know, it was a, a story about a couple who, uh, whose husband wanted to move on and out of the culture 
of uh, Africa, and I wanted to stay with the old ways of living. I didn't want to give up my culture. And I went up to Harlem because I thought that my hair was inappropriate. And uh, I went to a barbershop called Shalimar, where I once saw uh, Duke Ellington having his hair cut. Um, Streamline was his name. And he asked if he could help me. And I said, I told him I wanted my hair cut. cut very short. And, uh, and shampooed so that it would go to its natural state. And uh, he looked at me, and he said, have a seat. And he cut it. And when he was finished, he said, is that okay? I said, no, I want it cut shorter and washed. So as I said, it goes to its natural state. And so he, he went right back. And he said, well, how does this do you? And I said, that fine took me to the sink. I ended up with uh, my hair with a close crop. So I went to the show the next day, and I had my head tied up while they put on the makeup and the costume and everything else on. And when he said places, I took the scarf off and <laughs> his mouth fell open like a broken pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. That's right. So we did the show. And my sister, my mother, and she, she cut off all her hair. My mother said she wouldn't be so damn foolish. <laughs> but <laughs> I was. And, and that was the beginning of uh, The Natural on television. Then. George Scott saw me uh, with it and, uh, and hired me for east side, west side. And then it became revolutionary, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but that had nothing to do. You know, I have only cut my hair to suit the character. And since I was focusing on our lives, at the beginning of the century when we were so penalized for every single thing we did, you know, that was the way women wore their hair. They wore their hair cut close, braided, cornrow, or braided, or just twisted. That's the way we were. That was a natural thing. And to authenticate the character, that was what I did. Well, people recognize it as an important facet of our lives during that time. And so that's why I guess they were able to pick it up so quickly. That's an amazing story. My last question for you before I let you go is, there was one passage in the book that stuck out to me about your former husband, jazz icon, Miles Davis, that I wanted to read and have you unpack. It says, I wish people knew that the Miles Davis that I knew, not only was he brilliant, brilliantly talented, he was brilliantly sensitive. And that is the Miles Davis that people don't know that he was trying to protect. 
Um, talk to me about, you know, you're someone who values your privacy. So I know it was difficult to write about that, but talk about that relationship and what that quote means in terms of who Miles Davis truly was. You know, I, when you passed away, I had a teacher whose name was Jeanette Carroll. And one day after you passed away, he said, Tiffany, do you think he knew how much he was loved? And I said, no. Mm. Yeah, I discovered during the course of my life that most people who are brilliantly talented do not know how talented they are. Mm. Because they come here one way, they have no idea what people are raving about because that's the way they have always been. They, that's how they come here. And so they do not think of whatever they do as exceptional. And that's, that was his problem. He didn't think he had any particular talent. It was people in the world that made him aware of the talent that he had that was extraordinary. And so uh, it wasn't until towards, until towards the end that he began to recognize that he had a worth because it was minimized by a lot of family and friends, okay? So he never really knew uh, knew that until he got older. And when people began to tell him, man, you, you're extraordinary. You've got something really special. Okay? So I think that he finally, he went away knowing that he offered something very special. And... Uh, to leave to community. Well, you, this book is amazing, Miss Tyson. Just as I am is one of the best reads. As someone who put out a book last year, I can say that this book is absolutely phenomenal. I want to thank you for giving us your all and giving us your truth, um, both through art on screen and now in writing. And thank you for coming on my show, the Bukhari Sellers Podcast. It means so much to me and everyone who listens. I want you to have a blessed day, and I hope things get back to normal soon. God bless you. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. There's not much to say after this episode other than we love you all. I'm just thrilled to have been able to interview Cicely Tyson in one of her last interviews. I never would have guessed in a million years. And for those of you all who know me personally know that my heart is heavy and I have a bunch of thoughts running through my head of, of what that means. I guess the last thing that I'll tell you is that her book is one of the most amazing books ever, just as I am. And if you didn't get a chance to know Cicely or speak with Cicely, I suggest you go pick it up. If nothing, just to share with little girls in your world. Um, the name of the book, again, is Just As I Am. Cicely, may you please rest in power. You mean so much, the dignity and the respect, the brilliance, everything, the honor of just allowing me to be in your presence and speak with you this past Monday meant so much. 
as we always say on the Bakari Sellers podcast, that's that on that. And we leave you with a heavy heart, but with our chin up, knowing she's looking down at us. And hopefully one day Cicely Tyson can be one of those ancestors that simply says, Bakari, job well done.